ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna apologize off the bat for sounding like poo poo <laughs> i was i was just telling rian that i am quite sick um and like well enough to record the podcast obviously that's why i'm here <laughs> otherwise otherwise <laughs> i'd just be in bed um but if i sound like this it's because i'm ill but nonetheless ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the overlap i'm of course joined by my friend and my brother rian we uh We've gone through a very tumultuous last uh, week. Sorry, I have gone through a very tumultuous yeah, last yeah. Week of <laughs> all this Wii stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rion's getting Lukaku and looking towards winning another Champions League, potentially the Premier League. Just won the Super Cup. Very, very different ends of the spectrum right now in terms of success and failure um, for our respective clubs. But we wanted to before. Ooh, nice voice crack, Elias. But before uh, before we get into <laughs> The season and obviously you know Liga has already started but before we get into kind of the the rest of the big five we wanted to talk about a little preview of what's to come in England what's to come in Spain what's maybe not to come in Spain anymore after the last <laughs> 15 years but anyway that's what we want to talk about Rian how's your week buddy what what is it today's Wednesday or I think we're recording on a Wednesday yeah today is Wednesday it feels like a it feels like a slow week, unfortunately. It's super me, slow. But... <laughs> and I took a week-long vacation for the first time ever. By the way, I realized this, it was my first week-long vacation in my professional career. And uh, wow. yeah, the next week is just not Don't worry. Your, your trophy is <laughs> on the way. What trophy, man? This is your... a shit, <laughs> shit week. <laughs> yeah, maybe you, I, I can't tell if you picked the best or worst time. To, go to take a vacation. That's so true. <laughs> I honestly, well, if I was not working last week when the news was announced, I, or sorry, if I was working, I would not actually have paid attention to work. So probably <laughs> for the better. Yeah, probably, probably. But yeah, no, just felt like the week has been moving by very slowly. But um, outside of that, yeah, nothing too bad. Uh, my Philadelphia Union, I have a big, CONCACAF Champions League game tomorrow night. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. Yes, they do. Um, so that should be a fun one. And I think it's the first time the team has been in the competition at all. So it's it's the semifinal leg against, uh, I believe it's Tigris. I could be wrong, though. No, I think um, it's Club America. Club America, yes. Yeah, you're totally yeah. right. You're totally right. Yep. Um, yeah. Who knew? So... I would I would know an MLS schedule for <laughs> that, that day. I never saw it coming. <laughs> so that's exciting. Exciting to look forward to um but for you at least i'm happy that that you're just just sniffles i hope i hope that it's not not the baddie no but, it's, uh... it's not the baddie thank god i got tested but uh <laughs> but much much football to look forward to outside of just like this this podcast is our respite from like the world and honestly it's like free therapy like i said this on the emergency pod that we did for messi <laughs> like it's free therapy so we're doing i'm always gonna actively choose to come on <laughs> yeah yeah a much much lower upfront cost than real therapy so oh, oh yes it's uh it only costs time here <laughs> yes <laughs> which uh, i mean you know could, 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 could be valuable could be valuable <laughs> to some to other people i guess <laughs> those after work hours hit different yeah <laughs> well anyway let's jump into things rihanna because we want to start off talking a little bit about the premier league and we both did a format. Maybe I'll I'll change out we for a second. Rion proposed a format that I actually really liked, 
where he will propose two questions that we should answer about the Premier League. I will present two uh, for Spain, and we will each do one for the other respective leagues. So, Rian, let's start with, I guess, your first question related to the Premier League. Obviously, a lot to look forward to. You had clubs like Everton, Leeds, Aston Villa, West Ham doing really, really well last season. City, obviously, I mean, there's not much more to say. (laughs) And (laughs) Liverpool probably being the one... I would say lackluster team throughout the the you know entirety of the league campaign. So you want to ask your first question then? Of course. And the funny part of that is as somewhat disappointing that performance last year for Liverpool was, they absolutely barnstormed the last like 10 games of the season and still ended up finishing third above the (laughs) Champions League winners in Chelsea last season. Um, But I think my pressing question going into this season is could Liverpool's finishing possibly be as bad or worse than it was last season? And I pose this because if you look at their chance creation com- last season compared to the season prior where they won the league, they racked up about 72, sorry, 71.7 in terms of XG in 2019, 2020 season. Scoring 85 goals that season, second only to Spurs in terms of outperformance of goals to expected goals. They were tied for first in non-penalty expected goals per shot. So the shots that they were even getting were, compared to the rest of the league, very high-quality shots. And they were only third to City and Chelsea in terms of shots per game. Now, we flip to last season. They actually increased their expected goals tally into the 72.6, yet only scored 68 goals. That ranked 15th <laughs> in terms of outperformance of goals. A different XG. type of outperformance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Some might even call it underperformance. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the only team that was worse in the top te- that finished in the top half of the table were Chelsea. And uh, we will get on to them later, of course. But they were still tied for first in non-penalty expected goals per shot and actually finished first in the league in shots per game. So the question there is, is it just a thing of luck? Is is Liverpool's luck going to change? Are they going to just become better finishers than they were the season, than they were last season? Um, Guys like Salah, who was slightly below his XG, but still was better. So it was as close as, as anyone in the team to actually matching his XG. It's the guys and, like and Mane. Still, I mean, a top five goal scorer in the still private, great, yeah, like, still not, a great season yeah, yeah, yeah. by anyone's standards um, in terms of goal scoring. But it's the guys like Firmino and Mane who had a steep drop off in that category, and we saw it through a lot of the season where there were a lot of times where it's just like that they're just finishing terribly, and Firmino was able to get some goals at, at the end of the season. So who knows if that is a good indicator of what will happen this season? But I know, Ellie. So it, it, do you think that? the flip just kind of switches back and maybe not quite to the same extent of 2019, 20, but do you think that it kind of 
find some equilibrium between the last two seasons and we see this Liverpool team challenge for the title in a, in a way more legitimate way than we saw last year. Yeah, I, I think that ultimately we do see kind of a regression to the mean, which would be some sort of middle ground, right? Somewhere between the 2018-19 season. Oh my God, I'm dating myself. Yeah, 2018-19, right? Or 2019-20. Yeah, Thank 2019-20. Yes, 2019-20 and this past season. I think it's probably unreasonable to say that I'm, no betting man would would bet on that goal output um, as kind of <laughs> something that would happen twice in three years. But what I would say is the reason why I'm expecting there to be some sort of middle ground is because there's really one major variable that's changed. Well, one and a half major variables that have changed. And I think it largely has to do with rest. And it's the fact that I think the team has not gone from straight international competition or straight back-to-back season, basically, right, when in talking about the pandemic, to now actually having that time in between seasons, whether or not you had international competition, right? A lot of players are used to sometimes having, whether it's a World Cup, the Euros, Copa America, right? that those competitions will always exist. That's part of the pattern. What's not part of the pattern is finishing a full league campaign in June and then starting the season in August. Like there isn't much time to break because you also have to go through preseason and things like that. So that's where I think this will really help this Liverpool squad. And now, you know, Jurgen Klopp himself has said that there may not be many additions, right? We're kind of happy with the squad that we have, which leads me to believe that there's going to be more of a rotation with the Liverpool front three now. And it's not going to be so much as just a lock for Mino, you know, Mane um, and Salah now. I think that you're probably going to see Shakiri and potentially... Minamino based on his preseason performance get more more time yeah and I, th- and I think I think more likely than not Shakiri is probably on his way out before the end of this window they're trying to but, that, but this out. is but, this is part of the problem right is that right like it's very much a buyer's market <laughs> and, yeah 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 that's what I'll say uh yeah so so I think like the rotation will come more from Jota, right? Jota and um and Minamino who flashed some really good performances for Southampton last season and in the preseason at least has looked I think more like a good fit for Liverpool than he did in that first like 6 months that he was at the team which is obviously really really tough to come in in January and and have any sort of impact on the team. But yeah, I agree with you. I think I think we'll see a lot more of Jota and and Minamino getting into the rotation. And look, the big signing for Liverpool this summer was Konate from Leipzig, right? That's one of the one of the up and coming like prospects, center back prospects in Europe right now. Another one of those French center backs who's just they've just like, got a pipeline, man. Yeah, of diaspora products coming through <laughs> the, the amount, to the eventual French national team. The amount that may never end up playing for the national team <laughs> in a tournament that are still gonna be like high level Champions League center backs is is outstanding, yeah. really. Uh, yeah. But 
I, I can see where Liverpool looked at those performances and looked at those underlying stats of chance creation um, in the last two seasons and just kind of said, hey, like, whatever it was last season, whether it was, like you said, at least the kind of short duration of preseason, the, the, the really difficult turnover from the end of the previous season to the start of last season. Um, if you want to even throw in the fact that probably no team in the Premier League benefits more from a home crowd than Liverpool, possibly no team more in Europe, honestly. And I think like the beginning of last season, I might've tweeted something like, I think that no fans at Anfield was, is going to cost them somewhere like nine to 10 points in the season. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. in the end yeah. it cost them like probably 15 to like, yeah. 18 points throughout the season. So I think that'll probably be a big boost for Liverpool as well. And it's just like a, a bunch of those like little things all put together um, on top of the fact that think about Jurgen Klopp didn't get to go home at all during that season and right. through that, like I think his mother passed and yep. he couldn't yep. go home. And so, so all of this, all these little things piling up into something as simple as, Liverpool just couldn't finish last season and that's why <laughs> and that's why they were so close to not making the top four so I, I think this team comes back and and presents a real challenge uh depending on you know obviously injuries like that too that I even I forgot about that too the amount of injuries too. but, but to, to my in. point like the idea of having that much more extended rest should again lend a hand in having less so of that obviously you can't predict like a Fafana style injury but I think as a general rule of thumb that's probably a safe bet um so with that being said is it time for question number two <laughs> yeah I'll, t- I'll turn it over to you Alice. well Rian you talked about a team that in Liverpool of course did certainly have their fair share of problems when it came to goal scoring um and more so I would just say purely finishing it's not like they didn't have the, the goal scorers to do that. But my question for you now is Chelsea are coming off the back of a Champions League win, uh, a Super Cup win today against Villarreal, albeit debatably the better side. <laughs> okay. The Kepa redemption art continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does. <laughs> Every, his low point was that sorry sub moment to now. Um, but my question is now with Chelsea on the brink of basically officially bringing back Lukaku and doing, by the way, incredible business, selling him for what, I think 35 million euros and bringing him back for like 105. That's just just genius finances from Abramovich. But anyway, neither here nor there. My question is, are Chelsea actually going to be able to chase the title now? Like, does Lukaku make that much of it? Maybe not, that's not the question. But is Lukaku what you need to actually get you to the Premier League title now? I think if you look back on last season and, and so many of our conversations around this team where it's just like, wow, they're just so bad at actually like at not only finishing, but decision-making in the final third too. Um, With the exception of, of the Real Madrid semifinal. Yes, <laughs> yes. of course. Yeah. And, and I'll still stand by the fact that I think that was still their best. That was their best performance of the entire, that second leg, I should say the second leg of the Champions League semifinal against Real was their best performance of the entire season. And it was the most dangerous they looked in attack and decision-making, finishing, everything was 
was there, even though it was still it was only two nil. But um, that was that was like the real game where you're like, okay, this is the potential of what this could look like, right? Um, with all of those issues, the stat that like exasperates it all is like they finished third in terms of expected goals, and they only were second to Manchester City in terms of expected goal difference. Yet, only Fulham, Brighton, and Sheffield United underperformed their goals to XG worse than Chelsea last season. And you're talking about two teams that were relegated. So interesting. Actually, yeah, I, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when I went back and looked at just individually team stats for, for Chelsea, of the guys who played at least. 50% of the minutes pop in the Premier League. These are the players who actually outperform their expected goals. Kurt Zuma, Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell, and Cesar <laughs> Espiliqueta. And that's it. Those are the only four players on the team that actually outperformed their expected goals. That's <laughs> jokes. No way. And... and Therein lies the <laughs> potentially the answer to your question, Elias, where you slot in now Romelu Lukaku coming off probably the best season of his career individually, right? Uh, a guy who in his last four seasons has outperformed or matched his non-penalty goals to non-penalty expected goals in each season, outperforming it three times and matching it once. That could be the missing piece. I mean, it it always felt like Chelsea were a couple good finishers away from at least last season comfortably finishing second. I feel like um, maybe not winning the league, but considering you know how the first half of the season went, but that that was a team that with a reliable goal scorer that they probably should have comfortably finished second, right and you throw in Lukaku's finishing ability along with the fact that he also hit a career high in assists and expected assists last season with Inter. It's another player that can be a bit dynamic as well. He's not just going to be sitting in the box and waiting for balls to come into him. He showed last season that he can, that his link up play, I think has improved over the last couple seasons and throw all that stuff in the fact that he also finished, with his career best in shot creating actions for a season, like, there's a guy that's ready to fit in and potentially finish the chances, but also still contribute to the overall attacking play um, for the team. So to answer your question, I, I think he is the missing piece in terms of being able to challenge for the title um, winning it. Ooh, I think we'll still see on that. Um, that I'm not hesitant about, but, uh, but you know, the Manchester City is still so good, obviously. Like, yeah. like it's hard. Yeah, and they're to... only getting better. Yeah. yeah. And, and as I stated in the last, in our last question, I think if Liverpool just gets their m- even mediocre finishing boots back on, <laughs> I think that's, I think that's still um, a team that should challenge for the title as well. So. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. I think I said this last season, like basically a, a month into Tom Stuckel's reign is that <clears throat> I think you realize this, this team started to play 
so well because of the cohesiveness that they basically had in and around like the midfield area and the final third like in between that area they were pretty unbeatable like against I would say nine out of ten teams that they would play and I don't think that adding Lukaku is as simple as replacing Timo Werner's shot output or goal output. Like, I don't think it's that direct of a replacement. I think Lukaku offers you even more in terms of movement, in terms of dragging defenders well out of position. And Chelsea are very much a team to basically thrive on on deep-lying midfielders running into the box to finish off chance. Like, they have at least four of them. Pulisic, Mount, Ziek, and probably Jorginho to some degree. Like all four of those in some capacity, absolutely love to get in behind the space that the strikers vacate. And I think that, that even that alone is a massive, massive value add um, that Giroud can do, but not as well. Timo Werner cannot really do. And so I, I do think that this is genuinely like, the, the missing piece that, like you said, Chelsea needed to compete for the title. Maybe not necessarily win it, but definitely to compete for it. Yeah, and and I think I'd throw Havertz in there too as a midfielder who's going to make those yeah, runs yeah, into the box fair. as well. I think yeah. you'll probably see him do it a couple more times than uh, Jorginho. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but I do enjoy Jorginho running into basically like the top of the 18 and then just kind of hanging out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like just... Uh, it's always hilarious when the ball does fall to him and and he takes his like one shot per like three games yeah. or whatever and and they're wildly and it's over. gone yeah yeah they're like not remotely close no um but you know respect to him he finished as the team's top scorer last season with uh seven penalty goals so um i think that's that's about enough for chelsea <laughs> right now i i I, oh, we're, going, of course, going we're into this, about we'll talk about them the a season. lot. During, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. But I don't expect Luka, Romelu Lukaku, who uh, the, the deal will, I assume, get confirmed either today or tomorrow. Um, I doubt that he plays this weekend, and perhaps he's in for the second game of the season. But with that, Elias, on to my last question for you. And this one's uh, we're going outside of the top four here and outside the top six, even. And looking at Leeds and Aston Villa, who both had surprisingly very good seasons, especially for Leeds United, who their first season back in the Premier League in about 20 years, and they were must-watch TV almost every week because of because <laughs> yeah. of how entertaining their games were, right? And on Aston Villa's side, a team that played really well in a lot of big games, including beating Chelsea on the last day of the season, which if not for a Gareth Bale masterclass against Leicester, <laughs> like Chelsea would not be in the Champions League this season. Well, actually, sorry, they wouldn't have qualified. They would have qualified, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, nice, 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 like, who knows? nice I mean, memory well, there. <laughs> you know, who, who knows what the knock-on effects of that could have been psychologically for the, yeah, for the Champions yeah, League yeah. game itself. But Aston Villa, right? carried by Jack Grealish in a lot of those big games lost him obviously have lost him to Manchester City right they have done well in recruitment but either way the question on both of these teams at least will be 
can they take the next step from last season? And by next step, for two teams who finish in the mid-table, I, I don't mean Champions League, <laughs> and I don't even mean necessarily fifth or sixth place. I, I'm I'm thinking more like even like seventh or eighth and and challenging for the top six, um, top six places, not necessarily finishing them. So I so we can start with Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Brought in Emmy Buendia, the Argentine national team player who had a fantastic season for Norwich in the championship last season, by all accounts, the best player in the championship by a lot. Um, they brought over Danny Ings from Southampton and they brought in one of the reggae boys in Leon Bailey <laughs> from, from, from barely Leverkusen as the yeah. headline signing. Um, the question is, will like, are those for Aston Villa, at least are those guys going to be enough to make up for the gigantic, calf filled hole that is left by Jack Grealish's departure uh, a guy who accounted for 20% of the team's passes into the penalty area 21% of their key passes 23% of their expected assists almost a quarter of their goal creating actions and the whopper 40% of their ball carries into the penalty area that's that's inclusive of his injury time, by the way. <laughs> yes. And yeah, this is a guy who who only played in about 25 games. He was injured for a lot of that, um, the final third of the season, too. So taking a guy that type of production away from a team who finished 10th in expected goals and 11th in expected goals um, allowed, a guy who created so many shots about 30 percent of the shot creating actions for 90 for the team for a team that finished fifth in shots which is fantastic for a team of of Aston Villa's at least budget level right Elias do you see this team being able to kind of push a bit more and and maybe push up into those seventh or eighth place places including these signings uh, short answer, no. I mean, it's not It's not just because of Jack Grealish's departure, which, by the way, does leave a gaping hole in what you would call, like, the central left wing. Like, I, I guess that's where you would, you would put him at. But I, I, let me ask you this, because your answer to this is going to depend on what I say. Do you think that Leon Bailey is a direct replacement for Jack Relish? I do not. I I think the closest in terms of direct replacement um, when talking when you're thinking of a player who's going to create chances for the rest of the team, which is what Jack Relish for the most part did. No, he's mm-hmm. not really like a goal scorer. Yeah. Um, I think Emmy Wendia is probably the closer direct replacement. Right. Yeah, and I would fully agree with that. The problem is that I would argue that none of their none of the replacements that Dean Smith and, and the rest of Aston Villa brought in like truly fill Jack Grealish's shoes. Like it's not even like yeah, I can point to impossible. a player and say, oh, you know, he at least, you know, provides the same role or does the same job, has the same profile. Not only can I not say that, I can't even say that they're remotely close in terms of output. Like it's, it's night and day, 
So, and I'm, I, I can't really fault Aston Villa because it is very hard to replace someone of that magnitude. Trust me, I know I'm going through it right now, but I'm telling you, like, I can't look at any of these arrivals and say, okay, Aston Villa are in a position where they could meet that level output. Now, the one thing that could change this is if Danny Ings goes off and just has a wonderful Premier League season, like we've seen him do in the past, but without, again, the supporting cast behind him, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and, and that's really where the, the question marks are. Like, I mean, Buendia's had a fantastic season in terms of chance creation, but when you throw in all of the other stuff that Grealish that did for Aston Villa last season and, and for more or less his entire career with, with Villa, um, the ability to literally carry the ball from defense into attack. I, I, I always think back to the, um, the goal that, that is kind of seared in my, my memory um, was the game, or game at the Emirates against Arsenal where Grealish basically takes the ball and runs like, 40 yards 40 50 yards with it like attack or defenders bouncing off of him and then coolly slides a pass into Ollie Watkins who ends up scoring and just like a counterattack that was created by one player pretty much like that is irreplaceable that's absolutely irreplaceable for Aston Villa literally, literally. and you know I, I hope that I hope that Leon Bailey comes in and, and does well for for Villa I I hope that Danny Ings stays healthy enough for Villa for them to get the production out of him. But yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's hard to see them, I think, finish above 10th, honestly. Maybe, maybe they get to ninth, depending on, you know, maybe, maybe maybe there's some outperformance. Maybe there's like a big season, like you said, from Ings um, and or Leon Bailey. So I I think the the worst part for Aston Villa right now is I don't think they're getting off to a good start. Um, I don't, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Leon Bailey, Ali Watkins, um, I don't know, maybe Buendia are all injured right now. Like, I think they are all, or at least like going through something where they need some attention. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to fact check you on that later, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain two of the three of them are injured right now, but, but yeah, a big hole to a big hole to fill 100%. either way. Um, with that, we should move on to the lead side of this. Yes. A far more, you know, expansive team last season and expansive sometimes in the worst ways defensively. But um, their, their biggest signing so far for this summer was someone that you might be familiar with, Elias. I'm sure you are, Junior Firpo. Yep. Uh, very quickly, <laughs> can you give a little, a, little, a little scouting report on him? Yeah, I mean, basically, left back came in from Real Batiste to Barcelona um, and unfortunately spent only two seasons with us. Very little time, obviously, Jordi Alba being the number one. Um, he is he is a very dynamic left back in that he does, I think, two things really well for Leeds, or he will do two things really well for Leeds. I think, A, he is much better defensively than basically any combination of like Olioski, I think who who's their other left back someone one other left it was, back it was, left. you're right it was mostly Alioski. yeah I I can't think of the who kind of deputized I thought there was someone else back, but, but um but yes like I, I think he is much more a athletic 
I think he is um, much better defensively. He does certainly track back. Now, whether he's a better defender is different, but I think, again, Leeds' problem was actually just having bodies back, so it's a step in the right direction. Um, and secondly, he is certainly – he loves to play the left-wing back position, loves to get into basically the position between the quarter flag and the 18. Um, so he is going to still be a very good um, – I guess, addition to this lead squad. Yeah. And, and from a kind of Chelsea perspective here, one of their other signings was Lewis Bate, who was an Academy player from Chelsea, who ended up turning down Chelsea um, extensions to basically go and, and play because he just wanted to go and actually play and hard to fault that decision-making at all, honestly, for any of the Academy players at Chelsea <laughs> or any of the big clubs really. So yeah. Um, so I would look out for him. He's more of like a deeper lying midfield player um, and kind of pulls strings from the, from further back um, than attacking midfielder. So Elisa, the question there is like a team who, for a team that finished fifth in XG yet only Wigan had a worse <laughs> expected goals allowed figure <laughs> in, in um, like the entire top league. flights of, Ah, uh, well, like, well, who knows? Maybe, like <laughs> potentially in the top five leagues, who knows? But, um, <laughs> but Elias, do you see this team similarly to Aston Villa? Do you see them making that push for seventh or eighth place? I do. I do. I think what largely gives me hope is that I don't have a reason necessarily to doubt Patrick Bamford and his output. Like I was very pleasantly surprised with how well he performed and still genuinely thought that he had a, a chance to go to the uh, go to the euros but that was not likely to happen i do think that I, i'm just i'm still wary that they they haven't bought a center back you know what i mean like we talked we talked about this Agreed. towards the end of the season where center back center back center back is going to be like their major addition i'm glad that they bought um what's it called a left back in junior Firpo. But not having a center back condition is like, it's still scary. <laughs> so I, I do think that they still make the push because I think you, you could be looking at a situation where their goal output actually increases over the course of the season. I am not willing to make a statement on whether or not their uh, <laughs> goals conceded changes <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's my biggest worry for them still. I, I guess they're kind of banking on, I think it was. Yorente, who was out for a lot of the season for them last year. Um, oh wow! So, yeah. I, I so, so maybe they're banking on on him being healthy. Maybe that changes a lot. I'm a bit skeptical of of that even being the uh, the big difference, and that that ended up that ending up um, kind of getting them over the line in terms of solidity at the back. But uh, we shall see. Um, I think that's it for the Premier League, though, Elias. But before we go to the break, I will give you your flowers. You're correct. It's it's looking like oh, about it's looking like it's looking like a game time decision more or less for Ollie Watkins and Buendia, and then Leon Bailey self isolating as a COVID precaution. Oh, I didn't so. know. I didn't know it was COVID. Okay, so I, I read it somewhere on Twitter, just you know, because the football TL is just blessed. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyway, let's take a break. We'll be back. We'll talk about La Liga, but good chatting about the Premier League, as always.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, time to get my heart broken to talk about La Liga. The uh, fun part of the podcast starts now, and uh, I guess I have to come clean. I must have been lying about being sick because all you're going to hear is just tears streaming down my face instead of snot during this section of the podcast. But uh, at least his camera is on this time, so I I can tell. I can tell he is (laughs) bawling. He was bawling during the entire break. It was honestly... Really sad. You know, I, honestly, I tr- I would try and say fake news, but I don't even want to go that route. I, I at some point that definitely did happen in the last like seven days, so fu- fully admit that. But let's talk about La Liga, Rian. Let's talk about Spain. Let's talk not about Messi for a second. Let's talk a little bit more broader about the league, about what to expect this coming season in Spanish football. First question that I have for you, and I want to talk about is do Atletico Madrid have the squad to retain the title? We've seen them add pretty good signings to an already strong side. I mean, they probably would like to get rid of a few more players, in all honesty, but adding someone like Rodrigo DePaul is wonderful. Like, honestly, one of my favorite signings of the entire summer so what do you make of Atletico and, and their chances? I'm right there with you in terms of Rodrigo DePaul. Like, this is one of the best chance creators in Europe right now. Ranking in, think about this, he's ranking in either the 96 or better percentile for midfielders in Europe from last season. In these categories, in terms of, Shot creating actions, 98th percentile, non-penalty expected goals plus expected assists, the 97th percentile. In terms of assists, the 96th percentile. Um, progressive passes and carries, 96th and 98th percentile of that. It, according to football reference, these are all stats from football reference, by the way. Um, in terms of the players that compare to him the most when looking at these rankings, the top is Kevin De Bruyne. That's not to say that he's Kevin De Bruyne, obviously. (laughs) Thank you for the asterisk. Obviously, not to say that that he's that level of a game changer, but put him in this Atletico Madrid team that we saw at a lot of times struggle for like consistent chance creators. And you're looking at a guy who becomes a focal point from an attacking point of view for for a team that, with Luis Suarez, once again, um, and, and look, question marks there for what a soon-to-be 35-year-old Luis Suarez can still bring to Atletico Madrid. And we kind of asked the same questions last season, too, and he proved us wrong, to be fair. Um, but a guy like Rodrigo DePaul in there who's going to sit back and kind of pull the strings and just purely be supplying service to not only him, but but also to guys like Anja Correa and someone who could really unlock Joao Felix, I think, in terms of kind of allowing Felix to not carry that burden of having to, of having to try to do everything necessarily, right? And And that's not even to say that you know that him in that role last season was either detrimental or even necessarily a huge plus to the team 
but more in terms of his development, I think it'll be good for him to have another guy in the team that is creative and he could possibly link up with and make things a bit easier for him. And I think we saw in Copa America, especially on the goal that ended up winning the Copa America for Argentina, Rodrigo de Paul is very okay with sitting deeper, coming deeper for the ball too, and, and spraying it for any attackers running in behind as well. So I, I think this team did get better with that signing. Um, and I think when you look at what has happened to the rest of the teams in the top four, finishing the top four for La Liga, this is probably still, I think, just about the team to beat in La Liga. So I, so to answer your question, I do think they have enough to retain the title. Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. And I actually did not know. Again, if you have not, after, after listening to this podcast, figured out that Rian is much more of a statistics person than I am. His actuarial science knowledge is off the charts. But in terms of tactical analysis and uh, I would say qualitative things, I'm your guy. So I, <laughs> that, I would... Yeah, I will bow down to that 100%. <laughs> I, I would only add that Rodrigo DePaul is everything you said, but he is also the most Simeone like, player that you could ever define you know what i mean like he just has that that swagger that audacity that bold like big bald confidence that simeone walks around like the pitch like we're talking about a a manager that literally held his balls up to the juventus crowd in the champions league like it just that kind of attitude is what rodrigo DePaul brings to this team and sid low you know friend of the podcast of course sid low did a really interesting article before the Copa America where he interviewed Rodrigo de Paul. And one of the things that I felt was so interesting about that, um, that interview is Rodrigo de Paul's mentality. And this is why I bring this up in relation to Atletico Madrid and their title chances. He said when he was, you know, when he was at Udinese, he would basically spend every season picking out one or two things he wanted to get really good at or really like just improve on. And you've kind of seen the output of that now to the point where obviously Copa America winner has earned his transfer to Atletico Madrid. Now at Atletico, the pressure is on him more and more. And clearly he enjoys that sort of pressure. Clearly he's absorbing it. Clearly he's going to fit very well into this Atletico team because you, you literally saw what I was going to say. It unlocks players like João Felix, who no longer have to worry about doing the quote unquote dirty work. All they can focus on is really their strengths because you have a player like Rodrigo de Paul to do everything else that some people just don't necessarily want to do. But he's actively working towards, you know, X number of interceptions, X number of tackles to win the ball back, X number of assists. That's that's his mentality. So to answer the question that I, I originally posed, I 100% that think Atletico can retain the title. I would argue that they're beyond title favorites. Yeah, and I think from there, that that kind of leads us to the to my question for you, Elias. <laughs> I, I kind of hinted at it a little earlier with Atletico's title rivals seemingly not getting any better in this summer um and we can say that definitively for Barcelona and Real Madrid um starting with Barcelona here 
Elias. And actually, maybe maybe I'll I'll give you a little second to uh to prepare yourself mentally, physically, emotionally for that conversation. Um, before we jump into that, I I'll state this. My my question is. Will Barcelona and Real Madrid be in real danger of finishing outside of the top three? And I say this with the caveat of these teams last season finishing first and second in terms of expected goals and expected goal difference per 90. But from the Barcelona point of view of that, (laughs) 30% of that XG was accounted for by one Lionel Messi. Uh, He also accounted for almost a fifth of their expected assists. He led the team in goals to expected goals performance with Usman Dembele being the only other attacking player with a positive goals to XG ratio. Oh my God. Um, Are you serious? Yes. Yes. And, and, and I should say Uh. that's for players who have played, who played again, at least 50% of the minutes. Um, but even Sorry, the more shocking that, statistic is that Usman Dembele played more than fifty percent of the exactly. Minutes, that is probably the most shocking stat <laughs> of all of those. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Lionel Messi add on to all of that, kind of for a quarter of their of the team's passes into the penalty area, um, almost a quarter of their shot creating actions with two hundred forty one shot creating actions last season. No other player on Barcelona even reaching the 100 mark there <sighs> and on top of this the funniest stat I think really that's not, not no, no no that, okay. I mean those yeah. those other ones I wouldn't necessarily say are funny more than extremely concerning um <laughs> I would say the funniest stat um is that Leo Messi was the only player on the team and I would love to check this throughout the entirety of, of uh, La Liga, but the only player on the team who played even 25% of the team's minutes last season and had zero touches in the defensive penalty area. That one is just hilarious to oh me. My God. <laughs> but I mean, that's a conversation for a PSG conversation. That's, yeah, I was going to say that's day, a PSG honestly. problem now. Um, <laughs> but I guess from the Barcelona side, who picks up the slack on that? And and is it as simple as with Leo Messi gone, now Antoine Griezmann can get into a position where he was way more comfortable playing in pretty much his entire Atletico Madrid career, right? And also with Ansu Fati coming back into this season, um, I'm not sure if he's ready for the beginning of the season, but, Probably won't but, be, but yeah. when he does come back and fingers crossed that, the injury does not have a, a major effect on his um, long-term career. But can you see those two guys or anyone else picking up some of that slack that that is now that messy-filled void of um, of attacking play? So let me go back to your original question, which is, is it more likely that Real Madrid or Barcelona finish outside of the top three. Well, yeah, I, I say and, either. My my is either of them. Well, I'm going to answer both questions in that context. The very clear and obvious answer is Barcelona for the statistical reasons that Riyadh just mentioned, right? Losing, I mean, this is a statistical fact. Here's my one stat I'll throw out. Messi was responsible for 50% of Barcelona's goals in 2021. So 
if you can do me a favor and find out where those those goals are going to come from in the squad, then major props <laughs> because it's not it's not gonna there's not gonna be that sort of output ever again from Barcelona. Just jot that down. So obvious answer: Barcelona are more likely to f- uh, fall out of the top three. Now the question is who picks up the slack. And I think that's a really interesting one because I don't think there's an obvious answer. I think everyone is kind of entitled to their own opinion here because we haven't really seen how this team is going to play without Messi. Like that's a, that is a major factor. You took, you took out a player that has been a part of the squad for 15 years and just said, all right, come and figure it out. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's the situation we're in. I am more excited by the prospect of, bringing up new talent than I am the prospect of, you know, seeing how many goals assists, you know, Antoine Griezmann can get this, this season. I think Antoine Griezmann will absolutely be foundational and the core of this team in terms of attacking uh, the attacking phases, but I'm actually more excited to see Memphis Depay play because we haven't had a Barcelona striker or winger for that matter that runs behind defenders since David Villa, I think like <laughs> that's the last player that I can think of that properly made runs in behind the defense, and that was eight years ago. I think so, they, they, Neymar a bit, Neymar, Neymar did some a bit, of it, but but that was very that. much that was very much on his own, right? And right. I mean, Neymar is is his own beast, right? Has the skill set to just make you look silly, and this is much more cohesive. So. Memphis Depay has clearly showed that in preseason that his ability to run in behind the defense is a key, key attribute. And I'm more excited to see players like Ansu Fati, like our youth players, you know, Gavi's, uh, Yusuf Demir's of the world up and coming during preseason. I'm excited to see them get on the end of, of those passes or be a part of those passes. And if there is some sort of rhythm being built in the beginning of the season, or even at any point of the season, I'm I'm happy because expectations should be low for for Barcelona. Now, Real Madrid, I think, are in a, a similar boat. I'll I'll keep it very short and say that they are more screwed than I think people realize, especially without Mbappe. Uh, you're talking about a team that just lost Varane, who yes, did not have a great season, but is a arguably one of your fastest players. He is one of the fastest players in La Liga. And then on top of that was the only form of consistent solidity this entire season outside of Benzema. And Benzema, I believe, has COVID right now. So, um, again, <laughs> it's a question of just a lack of knowledge, honestly, of how these teams are going to shape up. I, I don't know if there's much more to it. Yeah, no, I, I I'm totally with you there. I, I Ramos and Varane leaving, and it still feels like there is a small possibility that Odegaard does not end up with Real Madrid by the end of this window. I I, I will still bet on him most likely being in the team um, by the end of the window, but Did you say Martin two, Odegaard. Mar- yes, I I would bet on that too. Um, <laughs> Again, it is like it's weirdly, it's just a weird buyer's market. It's not a weird buyer's market, it very much is a buyer's market. Um, and I don't think Arsenal want him, unfortunately, which is silly, but yeah, I, I saw I saw I saw somewhere today, who knows if this is real, that 
Madrid are quoting him at 50 million pounds for, for Arsenal. So, so who knows if that's either fake or just been told to Arsenal to tell them to basically fuck off. Like, who knows? Um, but like you said, with, with Ramos and Varane being gone, no defensive or midfield signings that I can think of outside of bringing back Odegaard and Danny Ceballos, who now with his injury, who just knows his how ankle, long his out. ankle flew from Madrid <laughs> back to London. I almost, I genuinely feel for him. Um, but I, the, the one thing I'll add is it's not to say that Militao and Nacho are not strong you know, right. defenders. It's they just had their say, moments last season. Right? Yeah, it's just to say that I think that the, I would say, not confidence, what's the word? Consistency, that's what I'm looking for. The consistency varies, <laughs> to, to put it calmly. <laughs> yeah, and so you're looking at Real Madrid relying on a soon-to-be 34-year-old Karim Benzema, who, granted, was one of the best strikers, center forwards, in Europe last season, that's yeah. without a doubt, right? But they're relying on him and the health of Eden Hazard, who has missed 59 games in his first two seasons for Real Madrid. I mean, that's basically I, it, over a season, so. Yeah, like that, that's, that is a literal season's worth of games. So, you know, I, I, I think if I had to pick one of the two that, could finish outside of the top three I think I'm gonna go with Real Madrid and again I'm I'm basing a lot a fair amount on that of the 70 to 80 percent possibility that Eden Hazard misses a fifth to a third of this season um due to injuries um yeah if I had to pick one of the two I think I'd go I'd say Real Madrid is probably more likely not to but um the the only the thing that still concerns me about Barcelona a bit is a defending and we saw that rear its ugly head <laughs> and basically the defending defending I mean uh, last season genuinely like could have given me a cardiovascular type of <laughs> uh, injury of some sort like I, I could have I could have came down with heart disease watching that team defensively yeah so that's that's what concerns me that's where I think if Barcelona were to finish outside the outside of the top three, that will be the Achilles heel. I mean, I guess that on top of the multitude of attacking potential problems um, that the team will have. But um, from Real Madrid point of view, I mean, I'm I'm praying for my guy Carlo because I will stick to this. I'm not sure that he has coached actually coached a team in like five years, but he is still getting these jobs and good for him. He is now going to live in Madrid for, let's say at least another six months. months. (laughs) Slightly different answer. We're we're more or less on the same page though. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, I I think, uh, I think they are in danger. I think one of the two is in danger is my answer to my own question. Yeah. I I honestly think both are in danger. Um, And I think this gets into my last question. Um, but Barcelona are more in danger. I do think both both are certainly in danger. But Rian, my last question, just in the interest of time, is Messi has left Spain. He's left La Liga. I'm not in the interest of getting into the question of who's the new face of the league, right? Who's the new branded player of La Liga? Like, 
It's not. And why is it not Luke DeYoung? <laughs> <laughs> the be- beautiful, beautiful faced Luke DeYoung, very handsome lad, um, very average at footballing activities. <laughs> but <laughs> beyond that, yeah, it's not Big Booty Hazard because you can only see him once every four weeks. So, <laughs> I my question is genuinely: Does Messi leaving now bolster the argument that? there is more of a level playing field in Spain throughout La Liga. And I say this because I really do think that there are three teams I can see not only fighting for top six, but top four in La Liga next season. Um, Those being Sevilla, Celta, and probably Real Batiste. Um, But thoughts on just that question alone. Yeah, I I think... I would agree that I think there is going to be more, we're going to see a bit more parity in the, in uh, La Liga next season. You just, just purely factoring in the amount of times that Leo Messi assisted or scored on goals that might've equalized or taken the lead against a lot of teams, right? You just, you take out, look, even being generous to to the, the team right now if you take out even a third of those you're talking about a, a significant enough amount of points that makes that top four top three even um tighter right and and I think that from a league point of view I know there are concerns in terms of hey without Lionel Messi this product isn't as um premier necessarily but i think we'll get a very exciting league season especially with what has been happening with barcelona and real madrid in the summer so i i think we're still i think we're set for a very exciting season in a really different way than last season i know that last season basically up until the last what month and a half we legitimately could make a claim that it was a four-team race for the title right Um, Oh yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. Like maybe like potentially who knows, who knows if it'll still be like that, a three or four team race or something like that. But I think in the least, I, I feel that teams like Sociedad, especially who performed really well in terms of like expected goal difference. I think they were third in the league last year. Um, If they are able to take another step and, gosh, I would, I'm still like, I still have this pipe dream that they get Odegaard back and are able to make a, a real push for the top four and then even potentially who knows top three. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that the, the league will become more balanced. I think we'll see more shock results, um, especially for the top three from last season, I should say the top three from last season. I think there'll be some more shock results for them this season. And I think overall, like the parody will be a good thing. I think yeah, that will be yeah. a good thing from a neutral point of view when you think about, especially with La Liga now coming to ESPN and on ESPN <laughs> yeah, Plus I, yeah, stuff yeah. now. I, I know that there are probably a lot of marketing executives for ESPN who were who probably worked <laughs> so hard and like didn't see their family for weeks trying to get this Barcelona, uh, sorry, this La Liga deal over the line and when it finished, we're probably so fucking happy that they're like, we have Messi. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I do think that uh, 
the league as itself, I think we'll still get an exciting product. I think we'll still get a very competitive top four at least because even with that kind of that four horse race for the title at the end of last season, the top four was pretty much set for like the last two months, two and a half months ish. So yeah, I think even if we get a really fun top four race, I think that's great for neutrals as well. And and I think they're going to get it. Like I, I genuinely think that this is going to be a pretty open league campaign. Um, it, it's funny we say that because ironically, we're also saying that Atletico are very heavy favorites. I do think that this is still going to be a very open camp, er, campaign because I could see, I can't believe I forgot, Real, one of Real Sociedad, Villarreal, potentially still challenging for top four. And you're also talking about a league that now has Jorge Bordelas coaching a Valencia team that really has players like Jose Gaia and Carlos Soler up and coming. And while the team itself is very poor, honestly, or had a very poor season, they are now coached by our favorite ex Hatafe manager who is going to come and kick the shit out of everybody <laughs> in this league. But there is, no, there's just no one team favorite. Like that's the beautiful part about the league this season. And I'm very excited to see the way that it's projected at ESPN. And especially towards an American audience that is always used this argument of, Oh, the Premier league is always open. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All right. City has won the league the last three out of four times. Like relax. It's been, yeah. It's been the same two teams for the last four years. <laughs> yeah, in England, yeah, right? exactly. Meanwhile, you've had three different teams over the last four years in Spain. So it's, very interesting to me who's gonna you know really shift this narrative but Villarreal, Atletico, um, Real Madrid, Sevilla, maybe maybe Barcelona, um, what I say Sociedad, Betis, and Celta are basically the teams that I can see finishing top four, top six. Um, and it's just it's very exciting. I'm honest, I like I, I keep going back on my words, but like I'm very excited to see like. Alex Isak and basically all of the young talent coming up in, in La Liga this season. So, yeah, you, you saw like, from the Euros, like there is a lot of very good young talent yeah. in La Liga. So, and, and there usually is of course, but, but yeah. they performed very well at the Euros. And, and I think that's really nice to see going into a season where we're going to have access to every single La Liga game. So yeah. 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 Uh, funny enough, stuff. the last thing I'll say is on the ESPN executives, I do feel for them because <laughs> being sports lost La Liga this season. Just My goodness, to wow. Keep League uh, around <laughs> and look how that's turned out for them. Yeah. But the, the you know what? The funniest part of all of that is who owns BN? Oh, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> like... state of. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah so, so as much as it's like oh being so lucky it's like no well they were actually probably that was probably like their first they thought when Lionel yeah. Messi became available yeah <laughs> yeah well with that that is our preview of the upcoming seasons of course Spain England Germany I believe as well Bundesliga are all back this weekend Liga started last weekend um, so the farmers are out and about, but <laughs> with that being said, that's my subtle dig at Liga, by the way. Um, but with that said, thank you as always for listening. We will be back next week and some, some exciting things to come with the podcast in the next, next couple of months. That's, that's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Thanks guys. <laughs>